السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والعاقبة للمتقين ولا عدوان إلا على الظالمين وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له إله الأولين والآخرين وأشهد أن نبينا محمد عبده ورسوله المصطفى الأمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على عبدك ورسولك محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد Welcome to another lesson with Quranic progression and inshallah ta'ala today we are going to be beginning the actual tafsir of Surah Al-Tariq. So in our last lesson we went through the introduction of this surah and uh, we spoke about the, uh, you know, the the issues that we usually touch upon when we make the tafsir of a surah. So for example we spoke about the names of the surah and by which it is referred in the books of tafsir and hadith and ulum al-Quran, the sciences of the Quran. And we said that there are three names by which this surah is known. So number one, or the first one was Surah At-Tariq, which is the name by which we now call this surah. And that's something which you find in numerous works uh, of the scholars, such as the works of Imam al-Bukhari and the likes of Ibn Atiyah and uh, many others besides. And it's the most common names, Al-Nasai, Al-Hakim and others. The second uh, name of this surah is the first verse, Sama'i wa tariq and that's something which you find some of the scholars refer to it as, such as Imam Al-Tabari and before him Abdul Razzaq and Abdullah ibn Mubarak alayhim rahmatullah. And the third name is As-Sama wa Tariq, without the wow at the beginning. And we had a discussion concerning this and whether it's um, an actual name or whether it's because it's mentioned like this in some narrations. So, for example, we gave the example of the narration of Abu Hurair radiallahu anhu that is collecting the Muslim of Imam Ahmad. Rahimahullah, that the Prophet would recite in the Isha Salah from surahs like As-Sama that Al-Buruj and As-Sama Al-Tariq. And so that's how the surah is referred to in that particular particular narration. Uh, and we said that, you know, maybe that's just a, uh, it's just the way that they're speaking about it in the sense uh, of it not necessarily being a name per se. Uh, but either, either way, or whatever the case is, uh, some scholars mention it as one of the ways in which this surah is referred to as uh, Ibn Ashur rahimahullah ta'ala does in his tafsir. So those are the three uh, predominant, of the, of the three names by which this surah is known and referred to. Uh, we then also spoke about the issue of its revelation and whether it's a pre or post Hijri surah, a Makki or Madani revelation. And we mentioned the position of uh, many of the scholars that it is a Makki surah. Uh, to the extent that a number of them, such as Ibn Atiyah and Ibn Jawzi and others, said that this surah is a Makki surah by ijma' by consensus of the scholars. And others then said, uh, didn't necessarily say that, uh, that it's by ijma', but they just simply stated that it's a Makki surah. And this is a, a position that you will find going back all the way to the companions. Uh, it's reported that Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumma, uh, said concerning the surah that it is a Makki surah. Uh, we also mentioned uh, in the last lesson a cause of revelation for this surah and what some of the scholars say was the cause of revelation uh, and that's the narration of Abu Talib, the uncle of the Prophet wasallam, that he one day came to see the Prophet wasallam. The Prophet wasallam gave him bread and milk, served his uncle and as they were sitting and eating, uh, they saw a star, a shooting star. It's described as being full of fire and water in the narration. And Abu Talib was amazed by this and he said, what is that? And the Prophet said, sallallahu alayhi wa that is something which has been shot or a star that has been shot 
it is a sign from the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that impressed Abu Talib and Allah Azza wa Jalla revealed the verses of Wasama'i wa Tariq. That's what you will find as we mentioned last week. I think we spoke with some detail uh, concerning whether that's, uh, you know, as a cause of revelation, how cause of revelation work. We touched upon that briefly and we said that inshallah ta'ala uh, they will, you know, we'll try to do a special on that topic of causes of revelation just because it's so important and because it's something which uh, clearly in tafsir uh, every so often we come across and and it's one of the, the, the things that the scholars of tafsir try to pin down as and where possible. And there's books that have been authored just on this particular topic. Uh, you know, by Al-Wahidi, for example, wrote a book on this. Ibn Hajar wrote a book on this. You know, many of the scholars, or some of them, tried to write and ascertain the narrations that speak about these particular uh, particular causes of revelation. We also mentioned in our last lesson, in the introduction to the Surah, Surah Tariq, uh, we spoke about the uh, mention of the surah in the sunnah. So that's one example. One example was the hadith that we touched upon of Abu Hurairah radiallahu an, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to recite surahs like wasama'i wa tariq in his isha salah. The other narration being the hadith of Jabir ibn Samura radiallahu an, that is the more well-known narration in the sunnah of Abi Dawood. And that is that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would recite surahs like wasama'i wa tariq in his dhuhr and asr prayers, in his dhuhr and asr prayers. And we also mentioned the hadith of Mu'adh uh, when he would lead people in Asha prayer and sometimes he would prolong that prayer to the extent uh, that one of the people on one occasion left and he went away. Uh, and in some narrations of that particular story, it is said that when Mu'adh was told that so-and-so just left the jama'ah, he left the congregation, he didn't stay to the end, didn't complete his prayer with you. He accused him of being a hypocrite or of having hypocrisy. And so that man, when he heard this, he came to the Prophet ﷺ the next day and he complained of the lengthening of the salah that Mu'adh did because he would recite surahs like Al-Baqarah. And the Prophet ﷺ said to Mu'adh, you will become a trial for people if this is the way that you lead. There's salah because people are busy. There's elderly people behind you, sick people behind you, people that have jobs and responsibilities behind you. Like this man who was a laborer, had to be up early in the morning to go and tend to his job and to his work. These people can't just be standing, standing the whole salah or the whole night in salah. And so you need to be wise in the way that you are the imam. And that's a general principle for all imams uh, to have wisdom. It's a common, not, I don't know if it's a common mistake, but it's a noticeable thing, thing in some masajid uh, where imams, you know, because that's their full-time job, they're there to lead the prayer uh, and they do, you know, they do an important, fulfill an important role in our societies but sometimes they, they live in a bubble in the sense that they leading the salah, thinking that everyone's like them, that, you know, they just have to lead the salah and there's not really much else for them necessarily to do that's their, like, main role and job but other people have you know, like 101 other things and, and they took out 10 to 15 minutes for that salah thinking that that's what it's going to take and they wanted to commit to the salah and then you go to the masjid and the salah is like 20 minutes long, right? Or it's prolonged uh, on occasion. And so that person then goes into that, that you know, the shaitan comes to them and they start to whisper and they start to say to them, you know, next time, oh, but if we go there, he's going to make the salah long, right? He's going to make the salah very long. And, and so I, I actually appreciate even though there is a beauty in making the last salah long and it's nice and it's enjoyable, but I appreciate when I go to a masjid that has a large congregation and uh, the imam is just reading the short surahs, for example, in Salat al-Maghrib. 
because you know a lot of these people are new a lot of these people are visitors maybe some of these people don't regularly come to the masjid and so if he starts now and he starts reading a really long salah and people thinking five seven minutes are going to be done the next time that sometimes shaitan uses that as a thing to stop people from attending and that is why the prophet told sallallahu alayhi wasallam in one of those weddings he said to Mu'adh, read surahs like surah al-sama'i wa tariq right those are the types of surahs that you should be going for and that's different to the case of someone who knows his congregation very well because he's in a certain area or neighborhood and he knows the regulars in his masjid and he knows what they like like i've been to masajid for example in in, in saudi arabia where the imam will, will read very long salahs he will lead lengthy salahs and that's because he knows the people of the area and the people of the area actually want him to do that so maybe as nice recitation you know maybe the people just generally prefer you know they like this type of ibadah and so he knows the people of his congregation and the visitors are few and far between right on the odd occasion you'll get someone coming in but it's not like some of the masajid that we have in 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 the bigger cities and so on where if you go you know some of these masajid are just big they have like hundreds of people for a single salah 100 people 200 people 300 people the regulars who are your you know main congregation the people that live around there that are there for every single salah are maybe 30 40 50 people so the majority are actually people who are just coming in from work or because they wanted to come to the masjid or they like the masjid or whatever and so the imam has to be someone who, who exercises a great deal of wisdom so that's something which is also mentioned with regards to this particular surah and we said that the surah consists of 17 verses so we come to the first verse and that is the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal A'udhu Billahi Min Shaitan Ar-Rajim Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim Wassamai Wattariq By the sky and by the night comer and that's the translation of Professor Abdul Harim Sahih International by the sky and the night comer Mufti Taqi I swear by the sky and by the night comer and Muhsin Khan by the heaven and Al-Tariq and then in brackets the night comer or the bright star so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in in the first verse of Surah Al-Tariq he takes two oaths as that Imam Al-Qurtubi and others rahimahullah say he takes an oath by the heavens and he takes an oath by what is Al-Tariq which is the night comer Wassamai Wattariq and As-Sama uh, and we've spoken before about the qasam, the oath that Allah Azza wa takes and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala only takes an oath by that which is considered to be important and worthy from his creation. And so Allah Azza wa takes an oath by a number of things in his creation, often from the signs of the universe, such as the heavens, such as the earth, such as the sun or the moon and the stars, or other things that Allah Azza wa mentions throughout these surahs in the Quran. And as we've seen previously already now in, in the number of surahs that we've done the tafsir of, and a number of surahs that are still to come in the rest of the remaining part of Juz Amma, it is very common that Allah Azza wa takes numerous oaths. It's very common in these surahs that Allah Azza wa is taking an oath. And that is because they are from, as we've said, the greatest signs of Allah's existence and His power and His right to be worshipped alone, subhanahu wa ta'ala, His ability, all of these things. From the greatest of those signs is the creation of Allah Azza wa in His universe. And so when you look at the heavens, when you look at the stars, when you look at the sun and the moon, when you look at the earth, when you look at the, uh, the, the, the mountains and the oceans and the trees and the forests and the seas and everything that Allah Azza wa has placed therein, it is a sign of the magnificence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His majesty. And so Allah Azza wa takes an oath by two things here. The first one is a sama. And the position of the vast majority of the scholars of tafsir 
is a sama is as we know it to mean the sky, the heavens. That is the meaning of a sama. Ibn Atiyah rahimahullah ta'ala, he mentions a position in his tafsir that some of the scholars said that what it's referring to here is rain. What it's referring to here is rain. And the sky is used uh, because that's where the rain descends from. But what is actually being referred to in particular is rain. Uh, but he says that that's not the position of the vast majority of the scholars of tafsir. And uh, in my you know, limited search that I did, um, I wasn't able to understand or, or find the basis of that position as to why some of the scholars said that it's referring to rain. Other than you know the, the what may come to a person's mind in terms of like the obvious that a rain, the rain is from the greatest signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives life to creation, it gives life to the land and to the plants and to the animals and humans and, and the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that's like pretty obvious. But in terms of its position here as to why a sama would be uh, the rain, I wasn't able to come or arrive at something specific. So if someone does come across something, then please share it with the rest of us. Uh, otherwise, the position of the majority of the scholars is that it is the normal heavens, the skies. And that's something which Allah Azza takes an oath by on a number of occasions, as we know throughout the Quran. Ibn Abbas, Abdullah ibn Abbas, عنهما, he said in his tafsir of this verse, he said, it is the heavens, وَمَا يَطْلُقُ فِيهَا And what comes in it, what comes or what is found in it. And Al-Dahaq, he said, that it refers to the stars, or a, a star. Refers to the stars, or a star. Um, the Qatada, rahimahullah ta'ala, the famous scholar of the Tabi'een, he said, Al-Tariq is Dhuhur al-Nujum bil-Layl. It is the appearance of the stars at night. It is the appearance of the stars at night. And you say that something has taraqa when it comes at night. So the word taraqa, uh, the teacher of our teacher, Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shanqiti, uh, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that this word tariq comes from the root word of a tarq. And a tarq in the literal sense of the word or the linguistic meaning of the word means a duck to knock right to knock and the arabs therefore use that word for something which often comes at night they used to say that the one who comes at night is a tariq and tariq is actually a common name right people have this name uh, it's a male name tariq uh, so he said that the that the one who comes at night is called tariq because he needs to knock on the door when he approaches at night. So the Arabs, as we know, uh, you know, the general common thing amongst the Arabs uh, in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, in those early times is that they, when they would come and approach people's homes, they would ask out loud, right? Or they would knock very lightly or they would just seek permission verbally and they would enter. It's not like the way that our houses are built now with, with solid doors and doorbells and, and letterboxes and these types of things it was a much more fluid open kind of uh, kind of society and even till now if you go to many villages for example you go to certain parts of the world where people have that type of setup uh, they don't necessarily have doors that people knock on often the door is open or the gateway to the you know to the the area of the house uh, the general area of the house is open uh, and so people would enter and leave but at night though once the sun sets then everything's locked up. So at the end of the day, things are generally open. People come, people go. You know, it's kind of like an open area because it's a village and things are relatively safe and people know each other. They trust each other. Most of them are 
relatives or family members or close friends and neighbors. However, as soon as the sun sets, they close and lock their doors. And so the word tarq means to have to knock. Tarq means to have to knock. And they often, that's the original Arabic meaning of the word. And then it was used for anything that comes at night because usually someone that comes at night would have to knock in order to seek permission. That is essentially what the author, Rahimahullah Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin Al-Shanqiti Rahimahullah is saying. And he says, and that's why in the hadith we find the, uh, the from the du'as that are mentioned in the sunnah is the du'a in which you say, أعوذ بك من شر طوارق الليل والنهار إلا طارقا يطرق بخير يا رحمن From the du'as that you find in the sunnah is that I seek refuge in you, O Allah, from the evil of that which comes knocking at day or night. Min sharri tawariq al-layli wal-nahar. From the evil of that which comes knocking by day and by night. And the layl is mentioned first. Illa tariqan yatulqu bi khayr rahman Except for that which comes knocking with God, O Rahman. And so that's something which you find. So that's the meaning of the original word, of a tariq and a tarq. And so here it's also being used in that sense of something which comes during the night, which is why often... You know, in, in most of these translations, as we saw, the translation that was given uh, is night comer, night comer. And then they have a discussion as to what exactly that's referring to. What exactly is that referring to? So the first, uh, or before that, Imam al-Bukhari, rahimahullah uh, ta'ala, he said, At-tariq huwa najmu wa ma ataka laylan fahuwa tariq. At-tariq is a star. And that which comes to you during the night is often called a tariq. And as I said before, Ibn Atiyah rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that Allah Azza takes an oath by the heavens and the heavens here is the general heavens that we know and understand and that is the position of the majority of the scholars of tafsir. وَقَالَ قَوْمٌ and some of them said الْمَطَرِ that the heavens that is being referred to here is rain. وَالْعَرَبُ تُسَمِّي سَمَاءً لِمَا كَانَ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ وَتُسَمِّي السَّحَابَ سَمَاءً The Arabs call the heavens, heaven, because it's something, sama means something which is raised, because it is above you, and they also can call the clouds rain, or the clouds heaven, right, the clouds heaven, and maybe that's where it comes from, that it's rain, but again, as I said, I didn't come across any more detail than uh, this particular statement of uh, Imam Ibn Atiyah, rahimahullah ta'ala, the uh, famous Imam Al-Qurtubi, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, he said in the tafsir of this of this word that the tariq is referring to a najm, a star. And that is referring to all stars, right? It's a general term to refer to every single star that you see, and they are called stars or they are called tariq also because they only appear at night, they only come at night. And so during the day they are hidden and at night they will appear. And that's something which you find in the statements of some of the scholars of the Salaf as Qatada rahimahullah ta'ala and others said that the tariq is that which appears at night by way of the stars, by way of the stars. Uh, and uh, Al-Imam Qurtubi says, and that's something which is well known in the Arabic language, that the word tariqa or tariq refers to something which comes at night. And we already mentioned the hadith, the dua that was mentioned by Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin Al-Shanqiti Rahimahullah ta'ala in his tafsir. But Imam al-Qurtubi mentions another hadith and that is the hadith of Jabir radiyallahu an that is collected in al-Bukhari and Muslim. And that is that he says Nah nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam an yatruq al-musafiru ahlahu layla kay tastahid al-mughiba wa tamtashita al-sha'itha 
that he said the Prophet prohibited, forbade a traveler from entering upon his family at night. And he says, The word Taraqa is used that he should come and approach his family at night. Meaning, so in the olden days, as we know, people traveled without electricity, traveled without the means of telecommunication, without giving their family members and so on. There would be often no no notice, advance notice, no information. So now when we travel home, you know, we're going to WhatsApp, we're going to contact our family members and saying my flight's landing at such and such time, take me a couple of hours to get home from the airport or I'm in this city and I'm going to leave off. And, you know, you can literally buy the minute with Satnav and so on, kind of give people a minute by minute play as to your journey details. And you can even share those journey details if you wish to do so. The, uh, in the times of the pastors, you know, that's, that wasn't the case. People couldn't communicate with one another so easily. Uh, people didn't have the ability necessarily to even travel uh, in the way that we travel now. And so often, for example, if someone was going to go for Hajj, that person leaves and it may take them a month or so to get to Mecca, a month or so to do their Hajj rites and stay there and go to Medina, and then a month or so for them to come back. Three months, give or take, maybe a week or two here or a week or two on the other side. So there's a whole period of like weeks in which a person may arrive back or may not arrive back. And so there was no way of knowing. So the Prophet ﷺ used to say to the companions, don't just go and, and give people the shock of their life in the middle of the night, especially since people might not necessarily be prepared for you to, uh, you know, to, to come at night. And he said, don't go at night, but rather give time for your women folk to prepare themselves and to uh, and to uh, prepare themselves for your arrival. And so instead, they would come during the day. The difference is that during the day, as you're approaching the city, people know that you're coming, people can see you coming. You know, that news spreads, people will go and tell the family members, oh, we've seen a caravan of people returning. We think your husband, your son, your father is probably amongst those people. It's a different, whole different thing. Whereas at night, generally in villages and old towns in those days, people will lock up and close up because it wasn't the norm that you would have someone approaching at night and it was also something which could be fearful right calling knocking even now in our time with everything that's available and you know the relative security that we have and so on if someone was to come to your house at 2 a.m and knock on the door it's going to give you a fright until you check who that is and ask who it is and then you know if, inshallah it's someone that's good or someone that you know they've had to come for one reason or another that kind of puts you at ease but until that point just having a knock at the middle of the night as you're asleep being woken up in that situation, or even if you're not asleep, not, not, not no one expects visitors at that time of the night, um, even even in our times today. And so, if you were to be knocked upon or, or someone was to call upon you at that time, it would make you uneasy, and it would do something which would, you know, it may necessarily not put you in a good place. And so that is why the Prophet wasallam used to tell the companions not to do so. And that ruling, even though it doesn't apply in our time, in the sense. Uh, you know, that now we can give advance notice of, of coming so whether someone returns at night or during the day, it's somewhat easier, but it's only easier because we can give that advance notice. So again, the same ruling generally applies that in terms of what the Prophet wasallam is saying of not giving people that undue shock, that undue surprise, it is still something which I think is good in terms of the etiquettes that a Muslim should should abide by based upon this hadith of Jabir radiallahu anhu. And that is that if you are planning to return and you're coming back on a certain day or a certain time or you know whatever it may be, you give advance notice. You tell your family, look, I'm, I'm my flight's on this day. I'm coming back at this time. 
this is when it's going to come back or whatever. And so generally that's something which is good and, and particularly this is for your spouse, right? So, you know, as a, as a father or if someone's a mother and they're traveling, you know, you tell your husband, your wife, I'm going to be back at this time, but don't tell the kids, I want to give them a good surprise. That's different because your kids, you know, they don't necessarily need to prepare for you in terms of their appearance and in terms of other things uh, that you will find. And there are some narrations uh, that it is said that some of the scholars used to say to someone, don't do this because the Prophet said, don't go at home at night. And some of them, Allah Azza keep us safe from this, came home at night unannounced and they found something which wasn't very pleasant in terms of what their spouses were doing. And so there are many wisdoms in the way that this is that this is done that the Sharia brings these types of rulings and these aspects. And so generally speaking, that should be the case as well when it comes to, you know, coming upon your family, even in our time, I think it is just sensible. And really there's no excuse now. Like before, in the olden days, people didn't have the ability to communicate, people didn't have the ability to give advance notice. Now it is extremely easy. In fact, it's extremely difficult to keep a secret because of how easy this stuff has become and how common and, uh, you know, just what people expect in terms of, of this stuff. Uh, Ibn Juraj, rahimahullah ta'ala, who was one of the famous scholars uh, of Islam, Ibn Juraj, he's a famous imam from the contemporaries of the likes of Imam Malik, rahimahullah, and others, and a famous scholar of hadith in his own right. He said, At-Tariq is al-Najmu yakhfa bin-Nahari wa yabdu bil-Layl. It is the star that appears at night and is hidden during the day. It is the star that appears at night and is hidden during the day. And Al-Imam Al-Tabari, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, he said that our Lord takes an oath by the heavens and an oath by Al-Tariq. And Al-Tariq is that which comes during the night. الَّذِي يَطْرُقُ لَيْلًا مِنَ النُّجُومِ الْمُضِيئَةِ From the bright stars that you see at night. So the Tariq is that which comes at night from the bright stars and is hidden during the during the day. وَكُلُّ مَا جَاءَ لَيْلًا فَقَدْ طَرَقْ and everything which comes at night is called a tariq. And so Allah Azza wa Jalla, when He says a tariq al-sama'i wa tariq, the word tariq can refer to humans, it can refer to other things that come during the night. But here, Allah Azza wa Jalla is referring to a star. Allah Azza wa Jalla is referring to a star, and that seems to be the position, as you can see here, of the majority of the scholars of tafsir. They kind of, kind of seem to agree upon that point, although there will be some differences as to exactly what it means by the word star as we will see inshallah ta'ala in a short while so that is verse number one that Allah Azza takes an oath by two things number one the heavens number two the star and that Allah Azza or the night comer and that the night comer is the star that which appears during the night and is hidden during the day and that the word tariq comes from the original Arabic word of taraqa or tarq which means to knock and therefore the Arabs used to call anything that comes at night uh, a tariq because it comes knocking, right? You seek permission during the night, you knock during the night, and that was the more common uh, thing. And so therefore that's something which you will find. And linguistically, as we said, in that hadith of Jabir in that dua that we mentioned, the word tariq is used within the context of something which comes and announced, especially at night. That's something which you find in the linguistic meaning is still used in various narrations and various hadith of the Prophet in verse number two, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, وَمَا أَدَرَاكَ مَطَّارِقَ And what will explain to you what the nightcomer is? What will explain to you what the nightcomer is? And I think that will be the same in terms of translation. Uh, yeah, pretty much what will explain to you what the nightcomer is or what will make you know or what may let you know and what can make you know what is the nightcomer. 
So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in verse number two, as we've seen now in a number of surahs that we've done before, and as we know is something which you find uh, in the Quran, such as in, for example, Surah Al-Qari'ah, Surah Al-Haqa, a number of surahs of the Quran, Allah Azza wa Jalla often takes oaths by something, and then he asks the question, and what is that thing? And that is because Allah Azza wa Jal, uh, we know it to be the star here, because in verse number three, Allah will call it the star, but the word Tariq, as we just mentioned, is a general thing, it's a general word that could mean many things, anything that comes at night. What allows us to know that it is the star is verse number three, because Allah Azza wa Jal will say in response, النَّجْمُ thaqib But before that, Allah Azza wa Jal asks these questions because the linguistic word, which is the general meaning, can refer to many things. So for example, when Allah Azza wa Jal says Al-Haqa or Al-Qari'ah or anything like this, those words, you know, over something which overpowers, overcomes something which which uh, you know, which which comes with that type of force, could be anything, and then Allah Azza wa Jalla will mention exactly what it is within the surah. Uh, Imam Al Tabari, rahimahullah Taala, he said in his tafsir, "Wama adraka ma tariq yaqulu Taala dikruhu li Nabiyyihi Muhammadin sallallahu alaihi wasallam, wama ashgaraka ya Muhammadu ma tariq aladhi aqsamtu bih." That Allah Azza wa says to his Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and what will allow you, O Muhammad, to know what is this tariq that I am taking an oath by. And this is done as we said before in the Quran when Allah Azza wa asks this question that he will then answer. It is done for a person to pay attention to, to, uh, to be attuned to. It is done so that people will, will pique their interest, that they will want to know what Allah Azza wa is referring to. And this is one of the ways uh, or from the means of eloquence in the Quran and it is a good way of teaching when you kind of grab people's attention by asking a question or you know posing something which just gets them gets their minds ticking gets them to think gets them to try to ponder as to what it is that's going to come next uh, Ibn Ashur ta'ala, mentioned something very similar he says Allah Azzawajal, when he says that something will come at night, he doesn't tell us what it is. He keeps that ambiguous. And then it's even more ambiguous because Allah Azzawajal then goes on to say, without again mentioning what it is, but rather to show that it is important and what will explain to you what the nightcomer is. And so Allah Azzawajal in verses 1 and 2 is telling us after taking this oath by a tariq that it is something that we should pay attention to. It is something which is important and that we should pay attention to. In verse number three, then Allah Azza wa answers that question and he says, The piercing star. And that's the translation of Professor Abdul Halim. In Sahih International, it is the piercing star. Mufti Taqi, the star of piercing brightness. And Muhsin Khan, it is the star of piercing brightness. That's so again, the translations are are very similar there. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, it is an-najm al-thaqib. An-najm al-thaqib. So we know that it is a najm. So Allah azza wa jal says, as-samai wa-tariq, by the heavens, by the nightcomer, wa ma'adrakam al-tariq, what will allow you to know what is this nightcomer, the tariq? Then Allah azza wa jal says, it is an-najm. It is a star. And Imam al-Bukhari rahimahullah ta'ala said that the word al-thaqib, my al-thaqib, uh, which is, I think, often uh, in, in English, uh, Saqib. Well, I think the, word, the name Saqib, which is a common name uh, that you hear, uh, especially in some cultures, S-A-Q-I-B, Saqib, or Saqib, Saqib, 
is a is I think originally from a thaqib. I think the Arabic word that it's meant to be taken from is the thaqib with the fa, but obviously in numerous cultures people uh, struggle with the word with the letter tha and often they just make it into a scene and so that's where it comes from. Uh, I think anyway, I think if I'm not mistaken, that's what it comes from. So Allah Azzawajal calls it a thaqib. And a thaqib, Imam al-Bukhari says, Rahimullah Ta'ala, he says, al-mudi, it is that which is illuminated. And al-mujahid, and he mentions the statement of mujahid, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, he said that it is something which is piercing in its brightness. It is something which is extremely bright. And a similar statement is mentioned of Ikrima, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, both mujahid and Ikrima, as we know, are students of Ibn Abbas, radiyallahu anhuma. And so Ikrima also said, al-Najm it is the star that is piercing or that is extremely bright. And a similar statement is also mentioned by Qatada, rahimahullah ta'ala. He said, The thaqib or the thaqib is something which is extremely bright. And that is what I think you see in all of these uh, different uh, translations, the word piercing star. Piercing meaning in terms of its brightness. Uh, and that will then come back to that narration that we mentioned in our last lesson about the cause of revelation for this surah, that's, that story of Abu Talib, the uncle of the Prophet wasallam, that he described seeing a star, or in it, it is described as being a star that he saw that is full of fire and water. And so that's something which is extremely bright. So the shooting star often looks like a burning star. It looks like it's got a trail behind it that is leaving behind some type of, of smoke or some type of, of, of fire. Uh, that's essentially what is being mentioned here uh, by some of these scholars of tafsir. Uh, Imam al-Qurtubi, rahimahullah ta'ala, he goes into the uh, linguistics of the word thaqib and he says the word thaqib comes from the root word or the root verb thaqaba yathqubu thuquban wa thaqaba idha ada that the word, the root word which is thaqaba yathqubu thuquban and thaqaba means something which is illuminated or something which is bright wa thuqubuhu dawa and something which is thuqub is something which is brightened and the Arabs say, he says, in Arabic language, the way that it's used in, in Arabic uh, conversation or Arabic language, he says that the Arabs say, أَثْقِبْ Brighten your fire, or lighten your fire, or light your fire. They use the word أَثْقِبْ from ثَقَبَ, which means to make it bright. Um, and then we also have the statement of a Suddi, one of the scholars of Tafsir, who said that it's referring to the shooting star. النَّجْمُ الَّذِي يُرْمَى بِهِ The star that is shot at the star that is shooting. Uh, the some of the scholars of tafsir therefore say that it is the shooting star, which is the shooting star that you see that is mentioned in the Quran about how Allah Azzawajal, and it's mentioned in the Sunnah also of the Prophet وسلم, that at the beginning people the, the jinn were allowed to or were able to go to the heavens and listen to the comings and goings and what was being said and they would steal the news of the heavens and they would come and they would uh, give it to their shayateen and they would give it to their friends from the devils of the humans and the jinn. Uh, the time of the coming of the Prophet وسلم, we then know that Allah put a stop to this and that whenever they would come shooting stars would be thrown at them or stars would be shot at them in order to ward them away from the news of the heavens. And when this started happening we know that the jinn gathered together in some narrations that it said that the jinn gathered together and they said this new phenomenon, this thing that we can't go to the heavens anymore and listen, but rather what happens every time we try to approach is that a, a, a star is shot towards or at us, 
that can only be because of something major that's developed. And so we need to spread out, we need to go and we need to look and ascertain what it is that has taken place upon earth. And so that's what they did until a group of them came to the Suq of Ukal in, in Mecca. And this is towards still the early part of the prophethood of our messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And they heard him reciting Quran. And then Allah azza wa jal mentions, for example, as we know, the verses in Surah Al-Jinn. قُلْ أُوحِيَ إِلَيَّ أَنَّهُ اسْتَمَعَ نَفَرٌ مِّنَ الْجِنِّ فَقَالُوا إِنَّا سَمِعْنَا قُرْآنًا عَجَبًا Say that it has been revealed to me that a group of jinn came and heard me and they said that indeed this is an amazing Qur'an. So the question here therefore is that when Allah Azza wa speaks about this Najmu Thaqib, this bright, bright piercing star, whether it's a shooting star or then it, what is it? What is it referring to in particular? And you will find two positions. You will find two positions. The first position is that it is a specific star that is being referred to that it is a specific star that is being referred to. So Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin Al-Shanqiti in his tafsir, for example, mentions some of these examples that are given that some of the scholars of tafsir gave a specific example as to what the star is referring to. Now, whether that's meant to be exclusively only that star or it's done just by way of example so that people could understand, that's something which you will find open to some debate. But anyway, some of, the, some of them say that it's referring to a particular star. So for example, the scholar of Tafsir, Abdurrahman ibn Zayd, Abdurrahman ibn Zayd, he said that the Najm al-Thaqib, this piercing star, refers to al-Thurayya, which is the constellation of Pleiades, uh, which is what I found anyway, that al-Thurayya refers to. It's a constellation of stars that are bright and that are well known, especially in Arabic uh, literature and Arabic uh, poetry. Thuraya, and it's a name I think as well now, you, you hear like, uh, I think it's a female name, girls, with the name Thuraya. Thuraya is referring to a constellation of stars that is, is extremely bright and extremely high in the sky. And the Arabs use it in their poetry to speak about ambition and to speak about beauty and certain other things. And so he said that's what it's referring to. And others said, other scholars of Tafsir, they said that it's referring to Zuhal. Zuhal is Saturn, the planet Saturn. So Zuhal, they said some of them, that's what it's referring to. And others refer to it as being Al-Jadi or Capricorn. And these are all, as we know, constellations that are found of stars in the heavens. So uh, Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin al he said that when it comes to a Najm al-Thaqib, the scholars agreed that it is a star that is piercing and that is bright. And then they differed as to whether that's a specific star or, and that's where you get these positions of, you know, it's Pleiades or Saturn or Capricorn, that's what he says, or whether it's the other position, which is that it's referring to any star. It's just referring to stars in general, and especially those stars that are thrown or shot. Um, and he says uh, that is the other position that you will find, and that there is the stars that are shot towards those that try to steal the news of the heavens, as Allah says in Surah Al-Jinn, so the jinn said that whosoever tries to listen in now unto the news of the heavens, then they will find this star being shot at them. Um, and that is because obviously, as we know from the wisdoms of that, is that the revelation of the Quran would be therefore exclusively for the Prophet that no jinn could come and steal it or take part of it and give it to some others and then they would come and claim that they had someone's revelation for various reasons, therefore, we know that Allah Azza wa Jal, in His uh, ultimate wisdom, He kept this something particular to 
the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And so, uh, the story of the sto- of the Suq of Ukadh, the marketplace of Ukadh, where the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is going and is calling people to Islam and is reciting the Quran, and then they come across the recitation of the Quran from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and that causes a group of them to accept Islam. That's something which you see, therefore, that Allah Azzawajal stopped them from it. Otherwise, they would have known and been aware of revelation. They would have been known and aware of the coming of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And so, uh, Shaykh Muhammad Al-Amin Al-Shanqiti, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, he says, so therefore, based on this second position, فَيَكُونُ عَامًا فِي كُلِّ نَجْم So therefore, the Najm Al-Thaqib, this piercing star, is a generic thing and it can apply to any and every star. Because Allah Azzawajal shoots the stars or causes the stars to be shot at them, at the jinn. And that can include all sorts of stars. It's not just one particular constellation such as a thuriya or a Zuhal or Al-Jadi or any of these types of, of constellations. And this was the position that was chosen by a number of the scholars of Tafsir, uh, not least uh, Ibn Al-Qayyim, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. Ibn Al-Qayyim says uh, in his Tafsir of Al-Najm, Al-Thaqib, he says it is that which is extremely bright and piercing. And he says, and what is being referred to here is the general stars, like the stars as a as a creation in general, as opposed to a particular star. And those from the scholars who said that it is either Thuriya, which is the Pleiades constellation, or Zuhal, which is Saturn. Then if what they mean by this is by way of example, meaning that's referring to stars such as Saturn or Capricorn or Pleiades or whatever it may be, he said, then that's correct, by way of example. But if what he refers to or what he means by this is specifically, he can only refer exclusively to this star, he said, then there is no evidence to support this because the verse is general. The verse is general and that which is general in the Quran remains upon that generality until specified by a further evidence. And this is something what Ibn Qayyim is saying is something which we've mentioned before. And that's exa- essentially what he's saying is that what he thinks is that the scholars who gave specific names of stars in the tafsir of this verse were referring to it by way of example as opposed to exclusively saying that that's what the verse is referring to. And that's something which we've mentioned now a number of times is something very common in the methodology of tafsir amongst the salaf that they would just to bring the meaning closer to people's minds and for them to be able to understand better they would often use and mention specific examples they would say specifically or they would give uh, specific examples not because it's exclusive to that example but just so that people can understand it better so uh, you know they do this often in, in tafsir and that's why one of the principles of tafsir and maybe inshallah ta'ala for those of you that follow isnad uh, one of the books that we will do in a forthcoming uh, course when we, we, we do, as you know, we do various sciences. And just recently we did um, Sciences of the Qur'an. So we did a book on the virtues of the Qur'an and we did a book on the etiquettes of the people of the Qur'an. But in the forthcoming or a forthcoming course that we do on the Qur'an, we will do principles of tafsir. So that's not something which we really deal with either in QP. So I think that would be something good for everyone uh, just to listen on to and so on. And one of the, the, the nice, uh, one, a nice book to study in that regard, which isn't too long either, is uh, Ibn Taymiyyah, ta'ala, his book, which is called Muqaddima Fi Usulit Tafsir, an introduction to the principles of tafsir. And one of the principles that he mentions is this one, that often you find in the books of the Salaf, 
what people may think are contradictory statements, but actually they are not contradictory, they are complementary, because each one is just simply giving the example of the same thing. And so therefore, that's something which Ibn Qayyim is saying here as well. He says, and the point here being that Allah takes an oath by the heavens and the bright stars, and every sign from his signs which points towards his oneness of worship subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he calls the Najm, the star here, Tariqan, a Tariq, a nightcomer, because it is something which only appears during the night after it was hidden by the light of the sun. And so he likens it, therefore, to the Tariq, is like the one who comes at night and comes upon his family during the night. And so therefore we see in conclusion that when it comes to this particular uh, statement of Allah Azza wa Jalla Najm al-Thaqib, the scholars differ as to what it's referring to in particular by way of the examples that they give. Is it referring to every single star or is it referring to a particular star? And what seems to be the case and Allah Azza wa Jalla knows best is uh, that they are referring to stars in general and then they gave uh, specific examples. And it seems to me and Allah knows best that the that a great difference in their statements is to do with whether that star is just any bright star or a star that is a shooting star, the star that is shot at the devils, for example, and uh, those that come to steal the news of the heavens. Which one of those? Because some of these constellations that are given by way of example are not moving stars by in the sense that they're shot at uh, the jinn and so on, as opposed to general stars, which may be, you know, from amongst them, they may be uh, shooting stars as well. Okay, folks, so um, as you probably know by now, I've been traveling for a while, so these uh, this lesson today is a pre-recorded lesson, and so that's going to be slightly shorter, inshallah ta'ala. So we've done the first three verses of Surah Tariq, and inshallah ta'ala, uh, from next lesson, we will go on to verse number four onwards. And verse number four will then be the Jawabul al-Qasim, the answer to the oath, uh, if you like, as we will mention, inshallah ta'ala, in more detail in our next lesson. بارك الله فيكم وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته